Penn State football gets a win. It was closer than it looked by the final score, 31-14. And by Penn State getting the win, I mean Jahan Dotson got the win. Welcome to Pine Grove Studio B. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, for the BWI Live postgame. Riding solo again today. This time, not a devastating loss to Illinois, but a win against Maryland. We'll be taking your questions breaking down the game, giving you what happened and why in the postgame. And a lot of it, if you watch the BWI Daily Edition, we talked about heading into this game. And uh, I appreciate these moments where I don't look like an idiot and I, I, I saw it right coming into the game. It, this game for Penn State football was about the big plays playing against man coverage and Jahan Dotson eating up the Maryland secondary. Uh, now, one of those plays was against zone coverage, and they just decided to let him run through the middle of the defense for 86 yards. But on the day, Jahan Dotson with 242 yards and three touchdowns. Also on the day, 363 yards for Sean Clifford. That makes 724 in the last two games. So as much as Penn State has been up and down offensively, Against Ohio State and now against Maryland, I know the late touchdown by the defense, but they are hitting their stride a little bit more here in the second half of uh, the season. With, with Clifford now healthy, they're able to do some more of the things that they want to. And uh, got a couple of questions in the chat, of course, about the running game, which again was a part of this story. By the way, if you're here watching, and thank you to the people that are here hanging out on the BWI Live Show, make sure you give it a like, because that tells uh, YouTube, hey, this doesn't suck. And then more people will join. We'll ask more questions. We'll get more stuff on the uh, on the postgame show, more questions. We'll start here with Ryan, who wants to know, uh, does this game and the production help answer any questions about the run game this season? So there were some things that Penn State did differently in the run game. And I guess we'll start there on a day where Penn State nearly got to 100 yards rushing. 99 on the day from the running backs. Now, negative uh, 12 yards rushing on sacks from Sean Clifford, but Keevon Lee averaged 6.3 yards per carry on the day. And it's because instead of running at 6.1, he ran at about 5.10. He lowered his pad level, he ran through players, and he got extra yards. That is the, that's been the missing ingredient in this run game. When there are holes fall forward for four or five yards, like hit a guy, get some momentum, be 240 pounds. And he did that today. Penn State also switched up a couple of things in the run game. So they, they still ran their outside zone and their inside zone. They're actually a little more aggressive with their outside zone game than they were uh, previously. And that had some mixed results. Uh, Rasheed Walker and Caden Wallace on one of the plays where there was a, a negative tackle for a loss. Caden Wallace just he can't get that block. Like he's just the athleticism to get down on a defensive tackle from the outside, because if, if, what outside zone blocking is, is everyone has to reach a full gap over on the offensive line. That means the guy inside of you, wherever he is, you've got to get around him. And if you don't, you give a free shot at the running back. And that happens on the front side. And the back side of runs quite a bit for Penn State football, but on a couple of plays, Maryland is not good at run defense. And they were able to uh, crease them for a couple of yards. One of the things they did, though, is they, uh, in their man-blocking schemes, which we've talked about before, they changed the aiming point. So traditionally, Penn State runs standard counterplays, where you're running to uh, 
outside the tackle. You're pulling a guard and usually a tight end or a fullback from the backside. And you aim at the right tackle. The right tackle pushes his guy inside and you try to create a seam out that way. What Penn State did is they actually pulled Rashid Walker, the tackle, on the same side that they ran the ball. So then they brought in the, the fullback and they were able to crease up the middle at a different aiming point. And two things kind of stuck out to me. Rashid Walker did a good job of pulling, which makes me think even if he doesn't hack it at tackle at the next level, he might be a good guard uh, because he struggled on the perimeter at times this year. Uh, but the athleticism and the ability to move people and the power are all there. And Penn State used that to their advantage today against Maryland. Uh, so they did some different things. Like they're not just standing pat with the run game. They're trying a couple of different things. So there's, again, mixed bags from that. But with Kevon Lee running with strength and power and the ability to uh, use players' strengths to their advantage, I think Penn State did a good job on the ground to get that stuff, which opened up some of the passing attack. Now, it's never always one thing it's never just one thing with passing game but primarily in the big moments i think you saw uh maryland wants to play man coverage they want to blitz they want to get to the quarterback and they want to take away the the quick throws with sticky coverage and then take away your entire ability to play offense that's really what you're trying to do there is you're trying to negate the offense with pressure and tight window throws and that's what the game broke down to today if Sean Clifford got a clean pocket, he threw the ball, and it was effective. He is an effective quarterback in a clean pocket. If there's a shred of pressure, anything around his feet, on the final throw uh, where he misses Jahan Dotson high, like awkwardly high, like that was not good level of height on the ball. Uh, I believe it was the running back stepped up in the hole and tried to take on a blocker. And what happened was he double-clutched waiting for Jahan Dotson to make his break inside. He was early, and the ball came out high because he did not step into his throw. That's, that's simply what it is. That, this game should not have been 31-4. shouldn't have been 24-14 to 14 in the fourth quarter. In the first half, Jahan Dotson was renting rooms downfield. He was that open. Uh, but it just came down to Maryland did a good job. They were able to get home on their blitzes because the Penn State offensive line continues to struggle at at just picking up the blitzes and being able to block their man one-on-one. -on -one. And that's one of the things that blitzing does is it creates the entire game is now one-on-one. -on -one. The receivers are one-on-one. -on -one, the offensive linemen are one-on-one. -on -one, the tight ends are one-on-one. -on -one. And if you win those, you've, you've, you have a chance to win. When you rush four, somebody gets a double team, but everyone else gets a one-on-one. -on -one. And Maryland was able to early dictate those terms, but then later, Penn State was able to dictate those terms because they were to block it up. This is very much like uh, the Wisconsin game to begin the season. The first time we've seen Penn State be able to do that this year uh, after that Wisconsin game where they're able to, um, able to get the ball down the field on some big plays. And a lot of that finally came from catch and run. Big situations and big downs. Parker Washington came up big. He was able to break some tackles and get some first downs, even when Maryland saw it coming. That's the impressive part is on some of those third down plays where they're rubbing those rub routes, those concepts that try to pick the man defender. 
Uh, Maryland saw it coming because Penn State's been doing this against man teams all year. And he still broke the tackle. He still got the first down. Some pretty critical conversions. So large parts of the offense did work, despite the way it started, where they, they got 11, negative 11 yards on the first two drives. So some, some ugly stuff to begin with. But overall, I think a good day for the Penn State offense that ended up looking better because of the defensive score. Uh, by the way, uh, if you want to donate to the channel, if you want to get a super chat in, I'm going to be taking as many questions as I can, but when I'm riding solo today, when I'm here just with myself, Tom Hannafin on assignment today, it's a little more tough for me to uh, navigate the chat and answer everybody's questions. So just if you really have something you want to know, you can donate like James to the channel and it shows up in these big bright letters. I literally cannot ignore it. So James says, can we just celebrate this win? It's been an abysmal season. The team is bowl eligible. Have a chance to make another mark next week. There are some good things that came out of this game. So, you know, I've highlighted a couple of them so far. The defense, again, I said this at the end of uh, the week before the Ohio State game on the two, two Fridays ago, that most teams are not good in the red zone. It's not that your defense is good in the red zone. It's that offenses are bad. The windows are tighter. Quarterback, quarterbacks aren't as good at finding those tight window throws. They're not as accurate. They don't throw with anticipation. And while all of that is true, Penn State is also good in the, in the red zone. Like they had two long drives for Maryland that resulted in a turnover in the red zone. So another critical situation for Penn State in, in that area of the field. Maryland had 456 yards in this game. And 14 points. So, again, the bend but don't break situation is very strong for the Penn State defense. They continue to play well. Um, Tig Brown, I don't know what I'm going to get from him game to game. Uh, his, on two separate plays, early in the, uh, in, in, the, in the first half, he... He was not on. He was not on target. Like he was not in phase. He made a terrible play on the ball, and it was. It should have been a touchdown if the if the receiver doesn't drop it. Uh, then later on the next drive, he gets beaten single coverage, and the receiver drops it. And then he comes back and makes some great plays in the run. He uh, gets the game winning interception, and Penn State and seals the game for Penn State. It is. It is just amazing the the level of up and down play he can have. He was very good, uh, except for some key situations in the Ohio State game. And uh, and in this game, I think he got lucky a couple times, but he was able to come and deliver some big plays down the stretch. So that Penn State secondary continues to be the strength of the team. Got a couple of uh, other things that we we have uh, here in the chat. Uh, Ryan says, "How do you explain what happened right before halftime? This is a prime example of bad game management." Okay. So, oh boy, um, there was a minute 15 left. Both teams had their timeouts left. So Penn State had three timeouts. Maryland had two. Penn State comes out and runs the ball and gets five yards. And they're in no hurry to, uh, to stop the clock. And my only thought is that James Franklin knew Mike Loxley had his timeouts left, and he was waiting for them to use one, and they didn't. So they said, okay, we're fine running out the clock here. And then they got a first down. So then they go, okay, now we're going to try for one shot. They try for one shot because Sean Clifford has been inconsistent in the two-minute drill. 
where he's thrown some interceptions, he's had some really bad plays, and again, remember, early in the game, Penn State was not doing a good job of protecting Clifford, and they they obviously did not want to give up more points because Maryland was getting the ball after halftime. So they're being very conservative, very conservative, but that is not James Franklin's nature. So the minute they get a first down, then they throw a pass. Nobody's open, you throw it out of bounds. Okay, you took your shot, then you run the ball, and you get five yards. But you're not in a hurry still because you want Mike Loxley to take his timeout. He still doesn't take his timeout. So we're playing chicken here? Is that what's happening? They run the ball again, and the most mystifying thing was the timeout. There's three seconds left. Are you setting up? What are you setting up in that situation? And then they go to halftime. So it was, they didn't know what they wanted to do in that situation, or they were waiting for Maryland to take their timeouts. But Maryland has no incentive to take their timeouts there uh, because they get the ball after halftime. They just scored. They're fine with the situation. So Penn State was playing chicken with nobody in that situation. Uh, and it's, I'm even fine with the end result of you wanted to play it safe going into halftime. That is as much, you know, coaching decision that is, that's a decision as much as of a game management. If you wanted them to go to get points and you think that was bad game management, then I understand that's a difference of opinion there. But if you think that they were trying to get points in that situation, they were not, they were simply not trying to get points. The problem is, it looks like you don't know what you're doing, and it's really embarrassing. That's the worst part, is that the end result is fine. It's not, I don't think, everyone's favorite decision, but if you are trying to make sure you win the game and you don't give them any more opportunities at the ball with two timeouts left by throwing an incompletion, throwing an incompletion, and then punting back to them with 56 seconds left and a quarterback that can uncork a touchdown at any point with his ability to scramble and throw... I understand that decision, but then just make that decision. Don't, don't get halfway pregnant and then try to come back from it. Like you've, you've made the decision that you're not going to go for points. Now I understand the first down changes things. And at that point, I'm again, I'm fine with you trying to take a shot. You've got 10 yards. You got a little bit of momentum. Maybe there's something there. Okay, cool. It didn't work at that point. You can kneel on the ball. You can take the ball. You don't even have to run the ball again. Like that, I was joking that they were trying to pad their running stats because you're going you're, you're going up against four people in the box. So you got 20 yards uh, on four carries to get as close to 100 yards rushing tonight. So maybe that in the end, Ryan, is what was going on at halftime. I don't really know. I know that it was, if this game had come down to a three-point swing, that would have been called into question whether it was a good idea or not to do that. I I won't say that James Franklin's decision there is wrong because when he goes for it on fourth down, people complain about that too. So the opinion of the decision is one thing, but the execution of that was weird. And that really, to me, is is what I took away from that is like, what were you trying to accomplish? I know what you were trying to accomplish, but you really went a long way around that. Uh, we got another question here from David. Um, Sean Clifford cannot push the ball down the field. Regress since his freshman year when it comes to his accuracy down the field. That was the story of the first half. It is absolutely the story of Sean Clifford. 
the inconsistency. The funny part is this was a good game for him. This was a good game. Now, in the 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 wide open Jahan uh, Dotson touchdown, which by the way, I don't care if Nick Cross is a good safety or not a good safety. You don't leave Nick Cross one on one with Jahan Dotson in the slot. That you're asking for what happened. You're asking for that. So that that double move was not surprising that Jahan Dotson scored on that. Sean Clifford didn't want to overthrow Dotson on a touchdown, so he he just boo to get the ball up there. Uh, so that was that was you know an underthrow. Uh, there were a couple other plays where those were tight window throws. A lot of those corner routes to uh, Parker Washington in single coverage, those are hard throws to make. He made one of them that was very good in that situation, not to Washington. I think it was to Theo Johnson in that situation. But he had a beautiful ball to Keandre Lambert-Smith on a go ball. Sean Clifford's worst throw is the nine route on the sideline. Just a straight, I'm going to run up the field. When teams play press man coverage with a single high safety to the to the wide side of the field, you have a lot of room to run if, you're, if your receiver can get the ball, you can get open downfield. But you've got to be on the money with the ball. You've got to put the ball where the receiver is going. And I know I'm making a lot of hand motions. This is probably gift this all you want. Um, he struggles with those. His accuracy on those in particular is not good. But he nailed it to Keandre Lambert-Smith. It might be his best throw all season on that particular route. And he dropped it. Um, and, and David, to your point, this is the problem for the Penn State offense, is that aside from their running backs not making yards after contact and their offensive line only occasionally opening up a hole that would be reasonable to run through, um, they can't threaten teams deep to open up the rest of the passing game. Today, in this situation, they did. They were able to hit those big plays because Maryland is much worse at coverage than Penn State is at having a Jahan Dotson. End of the story. And and in this situation, I thought they did enough to win. You you would have wanted to be a little more comfortable. Earlier this week, and I, I appreciate somebody saying in the chat how Ryan and I uh, were talking about this on Friday uh, when we actually got up an episode that had audio. Um, that was what I was looking at was, can, can Maryland play in single coverage? And Jahan Dotson answered that with 11 catches for 242 yards, three touchdowns, a long of 86, and 68 yards after the catch. So that is the answer to whether or not Maryland can uh, can can cover in man coverage. Yes, Night Raven, this is something we've talked about before uh, when it comes to Sean Clifford. And what happened in the first half? And this is going to get to the point of what we're talking about when it comes to Sean Clifford and his ability to throw the ball down the field is you can occasionally hit a ball with bad mechanics. You can occasionally throw the ball down the field and I don't want to say get lucky, but you can throw the ball accurately enough that the receiver can make an adjustment and make a catch. But to consistently do it, to do it time and time again and time and time again, you have to step into your throw. If you want to know if your quarterback is any good, watch his front foot. His plant foot when he stands and delivers. You want to watch two things. First off, does he actually move his weight and momentum to his front foot? Secondly, is his front foot pointed in the direction he's trying to throw? Is he actually pointing it at the receiver? Or is he doing some weird thing where it's like duck-footed in or out? Accuracy is almost completely derived from that action. 
consistent, repeatable accuracy. And if Sean Clifford feels any pressure whatsoever, he does not step into his throws. And 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 I, again, sometimes he does. Sometimes he stands in there. He's able to overcome what he is become as a quarterback and deliver a great ball. When he does that, he's a game-winning quarterback. But for the most part, he doesn't. And in this game, early in the game, Penn State was struggling to protect him against the Maryland blitzes and the Maryland stunts. And by the way, this game was probably the worst game I've seen in a while when it comes to quarterback pocket presence on either side of the ball. Talia Tungavaloa, um, wow. <laughs> so it, when Patrick Mahomes does those things, it's impressive. Because he's actually able to avoid pressure and then throw the ball accurately from an insane platform. You know, everything I just said about quarterback ac accuracy, he tends to break all of those rules and and still be accurate with the football. Talia Tungavaloa, when he does it, it's a sack waiting to happen. So, so that's what that was about. And Sean Clifford, this is a problem of his as well, where he is so insistent on not having pressure around his feet to what Knight Raven is talking about here, that he'll bail from a clean pocket all the time. Like, regularly in games, he bails from clean pockets and runs into a lot of his own pressure. Now, Rashid Walker on the one where he got hit in the back, Clifford had bad pocket presence, and Walker had a bad pass set where he got himself backdoored to an inside rush. That was a bad combination of bad plays. But for the most part, a lot of what happens when it comes to Sean Clifford in those situations of he's in the pocket, the running back is supposed to step up and get the blitz. And Penn State running backs have been getting better this season about doing that and actually giving a clean, defined pocket. The interior, the funny thing is, the interior of Penn State's offense is generally pretty good at keeping that, that actual pocket shape. They are better pass protectors than anything else they do. Um, they do struggle with some stunts where you get those free rushers, and that's what causes the havoc for Clifford. Um, he, he will, he will step, he will, um, not step into clean pockets or he'll step too aggressively forward and be off his momentum to throw the ball accurately. So there's just a lot of stuff to, to go through there. But I think the thing that you should take away from this game, and I spent a lot of time talking about a quarterback that went 27 to 47 for 363 yards and three touchdowns. Um, he, he was, he was good today. He was the better quarterback. He was good enough to win. This is the formula that Penn State needs to win football games. So despite all of those things, and despite the Penn State offensive line being what it is, they were able to keep enough clean pockets for Sean Clifford to deliver the ball to Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson. And uh, um, looking over here, I'm trying to find Parker Washington. Only two catches for 16 yards in the, uh, in the official game book, but his ability to get first downs was big today. That was a big thing for uh, for the Penn State offense. He was able to um, he was able to convert some things and keep drives alive for Penn State. Trying to find some other uh, questions you guys have here in the chat. It is more difficult to talk and read than you would imagine. So I apologize if there's a little stuttery or stammery when I'm trying to find um, uh, something to talk about here. Okay, so here's an interesting thing. Speaking of Drew Alar and. <laughs> We're talking about Penn State winning 31-14 over Maryland, but we're already talking about the next quarterback because when you lose three games in a college football season, this is what happens, which is why it's a little nuts. It's a little nuts that you lose three games and it's over. It's a wash. We're done. Who cares? Like This team still has a lot to play for. 
they can get to, uh, you know, with a bowl game, they can get to 10 wins this season. That's a good season. Drew Lar, everything I just talked about Sean Clifford with, he struggles with some of those things too. So just know every quarterback, whether they're a five-star or they're a guy who is in his fifth year, they can struggle with these things. Now, the thing about Alar that has been happening this year is that he's been improving at that while playing. And that is rare. That is very rare to be able to do. He's become more accurate as the season has gone on because he's been working on these things. Every quarterback in the offseason says they know they need to work on their footwork. Every single one of them. Trace McSorley told me that one time that it's about getting it perfect every single time and making sure that you step into the... And, and even if you know it and you're a smart quarterback and you're one of the more clutch players we've seen, sometimes your pre-programmed disciplines, the things you've learned to do since you were 15, they just happen. Like, you don't have control over those motor functions. That's why you do these repetitions all the time. So Drew Allard being able to fix that as the season has gone on, to me that's huge because before, before the last month of the season, when people were saying this like Jason... I said, that's a, that's a great way to Christian Hackenberg the kid because all those bad habits will be ingrained while he's just trying to make a play. He's just trying to win the game at that point. And how to do it the right way falls to the wayside. So being able to do that while you're in the middle of your season is is pretty impressive. Uh, and and I'll have to see it consistently in, whenever he gets to Penn State. I think he's going to be an early enrollee. So, you know, being able to see it in the spring, being able to see consistency in all of those things, plus digesting the playbook is another huge thing. True freshman coming to college, that is really hard to do. And I know we see the examples of, well, Trevor Lawrence did it. Well, Trevor Lawrence was the number one overall pick in the draft. Most quarterbacks are not the number one overall pick in the draft. And can Drew Allard be that? Sure, he has the arm strength, he has all of the tools to do that, but tools define your ceiling, they don't define your game. And, and you know, I'm always hesitant to say a true freshman quarterback should start. This is the BWI Live post-game show, answering your questions in the chat. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Uh, a couple other interesting things. Again, Kevon Lee, I thought was great today. Um... I, I don't know if I've said this already, but one thing, I he looked like a puppy that learned how big he was. You know, puppies, they run around, they don't realize how big they are, they run into stuff. There was a conscious decision from Kevon Lee to run people over today. And at 230 pounds, he got eight attempts for 50 yards. He still was not the leading rusher. Uh, Noah Kane had uh, 10 carries for 35 yards and a long of nine. Uh, he also contributed in the passing game with four targets for 28 yards. So... The running back by committees continues to happen. Um, this is... I I have a hard time with what to do with Noah Kane Because Noah Kane is the better overall player. That is clear. Uh, from his vision and his decision-making. Which, again, Kevon Lee, when he did it better today, became the better running back. Because he's healthy. Noah Kane has been, since 2019, even in that year... Remember, he was out for a, a large stretch of the middle part of the season with an injury. And we kind of learned later on it was a lower body injury. So then you come back in 2020 and has a lower body injury, the third play of the game against Indiana. So the entirety of his career, at one point or another, he's been doing rehab on his lower body with either an injury, nursing that back to health, 
or full-on an injury that he had to do something with. And I just don't believe that Noah Kane has had the last two years to be able to develop his lower body strength to be able to break tackles. So the guy you saw in 2019 is not the guy that's playing this year. And are you putting him in position to see, is he the best running back being a 5'11", 220-pound guy that doesn't have any power? It feels like you're putting him in situations to fail. That's why they use him in the screen game. And another part about the Penn State offense that I thought was hilarious today is there was a swing pass to Noah Kane to the wide side of the field with all three tight ends lined up at receiver, which says, hey, our offensive line can't run block, so here are three tight ends in the flat. We created a new offensive line out here, so let's try that. <laughs> uh, you know, just the situation you find yourself in if you're Penn State football. So I would even add a couple of those passes in there as runs, sort of, I guess if you want to. Um, and I see this question about Bo Prabula here as well. I haven't done as much um, on Prabula so far this year. I have watched him. The thing I love about him is that Everything I talked about Drew Alar with, how he improved at that, Bo Prabula is naturally good at those things. He has a natural, quick, explosive throwing motion, uh, and his footwork is good. It was a little bit... The comparisons to Trace McSorley are fair, in that um, he's an athletic guy, he's a good passer, he... He's bigger than Trace McSorley, and to me, that really is the difference, is he has more tools than Trace McSorley, believe it or not. So, the... To me, Trace was a little bit defined by his ceiling of he's a little small, he doesn't have a great arm, but he makes all the throws you need him to in a game, and he will do the right thing at the right time. There's elements of that to, to Bo Prabula, but he, I think, has more as far as the tangible factors. Um, so his footwork is very good, but when it comes to the mental aspect of the game, he's in a different offense than Drew Alar. Drew Alar is operating a spread offense with five wide receivers between the 20s. Everything's on him. He's making reads every single play. Uh, it's a little more of a high school offense with what Bo Perpula is doing. But he's executing at an incredibly high level. He's making accurate dimes all over the field. Both of these quarterbacks are very good. Uh, but again, does that translate to playing immediately next year? I don't know that's the case. Um, and this is, this is again, one of the situations with don't count your chickens before the hatch. Don't expect these things to just work because that's how you get into 2021 with the season you're having right now. Uh, I'm your host, Thomas Frankar, here on the BWI Live Post Game Show. If you're enjoying our conversation about what is turning into a recruiting chat about the quarterbacks coming in next year for Penn State, which, by the way, I firmly believe they're going to be getting a transfer quarterback. Um... If you like the show so far, make sure you hit the like button so we can spread this and more people can join in. We can have more interesting conversations about Penn State football. On the defensive side of the ball, an interesting change from what Penn State has done a lot so far this year. And this might have been an in-game adjustment. I have to go back and watch the film fully uh, to really know if this is something they changed from the beginning or something that was a part of the game plan the whole time. But typically, Penn State is a single high team that plays cover three. And that means your, your corners are playing off and you've got a deep safety in the middle of the field and you're playing three across in coverage. It's so you don't give up the big play, right? But what that does, two things, is that you open up a couple of windows in the underneath part of the field and you have a couple of players that are put in tough situations. I talked to Curtis Jacobs earlier this week when we had our media availability and I, I told him, 
I think you have the hardest job on defense because one play, you're covering um, Rakeem Jarrett, their, their top receiver. He's in the slot. He's a Sam linebacker. His job on those cover three plays is to buzz to the sideline and get underneath those throws that you open up by, by taking away the deep stuff. And he had a lot of that today. He was in the field on the long side of the field. It's called the field side. Surprise. Um, and he was, he was making tackles in space, but he missed a couple because Teon Fleet Davis is a very elusive tailback, and those are wide receivers he's covering. And he's a linebacker, and he's been the best at doing it I've seen since Cam Brown in his senior season, uh, I think in 2019. So he was really involved early, but I think what Maryland was having some success out there. So what they did is they switched things up, something that, um, that Illinois did to them, which is play cover two. That means your, safe, your, your corners are playing in the flat, opposite of what they would do before. Your safety split the middle of the field, and your middle linebacker, if you ever see Ellis Brooks just running backwards, that's cover two. Because he's got to defend the middle of the field where there's a weakness in, uh, in, in the middle of the zones. And if you're a good quarterback... This is something that is, is uh, one, of the, one of the flaws in young quarterbacks or guys that don't want to make mistakes is I don't want to take a sack and I know I've got to get the ball out. But against zone, there are windows all over the field because you literally can't cover the entire field. You're trying to cover the field, not the players. So there are underneath zones that are open. And if you can get a, a receiver downfield, there are rece- there are, there are um windows downfield that you can attack. Talia Tungavaloa, one of the reasons that Maryland was able to move the ball today, he's a good quarterback. He is actually a very talented football player that when he's not making ridiculous decisions with the football, trying to outrun Ellis Brooks by running backwards, he delivers the ball accurately from multiple platforms. He's got great zip on the ball, and he's willing to attack those downfield windows. That's where you get those big plays. Um, But you want them mostly to be in the structure of the offense. And when they had success, he was able to diagnose and hit those cover two holes because Penn State took away the swing game. Now, something I talked about this week uh, on, on the BWI Daily Edition is that Maryland throws more passes behind the line of scrimmage than any other team in the Big Ten. Second is Penn State. So this was going to be a game where everyone's throwing the football, and we got 47, 58. We almost had 100 passes in this game. No, we had over 100 passes in this game. So that's what we were in for, and that's what we got. A lot of those swing passes they tried to take away with the the cornerbacks underneath, and that opened up holes down the field in the middle, and it put Brandon Smith and a couple of the linebackers where they're then the ones covering receivers running to the middle of the field. And Brandon Smith... Speaking of Brandon Smith, I thought he had a good game today. One of his biggest things is that he struggles to get to the football when there are players coming at him from the line of scrimmage, either guards or good run-blocking tight ends. He was able multiple times to disengage and get to the football, shed blocks, and tackle. Now, again, Maryland is very much like Penn State where they are pretty terrible at, uh, at run-blocking. So that's a part of this. But he also made those plays. And then he, he had the pass breakup where he, he put his giant 6-3 arm into the passing window and was able to break up a play. So there's some good plays by Brandon Smith. Overall, I thought he had a very good game. Um, one of the things, I, I, I think I said this already, but I jinxed the Penn State team where I, I tweeted out, 
I think like 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, they had 91 yards rushing. And I said, I can feel it. They're getting to 100 yards today. They're going to be able to get the next couple yards, churn out some clock here. And then they finished that drive losing six yards rushing. So the four-minute offense is not going to be a thing for Penn State. It's just not going to be a, uh, a thing for Penn State. And Goonie, I'm glad you uh, brought your question in. I was waiting for it. Thank you for the donation to the channel. Um, why can't Penn State recruit an O-line like Iowa or Wisconsin? It's been our weak link for years. So it is complicated. And no one likes that answer, right? Penn State has tried to get big physical offensive linemen. It's not like they haven't tried that. Rasheed Walker is that guy. Now, he is not um, He's not 6'6", 350. He's not like the, the right tackle for um, Minnesota that is too big to play football effectively. But he's a big physical guy. He just doesn't always play that way. He will either wreck a guy or miss his block. So another thing that's going to bleed into our conversation about recruiting is Phil Troutwine was brought in to fix this situation. He's been here for a year and a half. His first recruiting class is coming in in the class of 2022. Um, I'll see if I can pull this up quickly for you, but the, the size of the players uh, is just different. There are no players that are like, oh, well, he'll grow into his frame. He'll uh, he'll be able to get bigger. Here we go. Okay, so try to filter this. And we're just going to have to do this this way. Drew Shelton, 6'5", 290. He is their left tackle prospect. Very good football player. Maybe more so in the build of what they've had before. Um, you have J.B. Nelson is the guy I'm looking for. 6'6", six six, 310 pounds as an interior offensive lineman. He's going to be a guard for Penn State, but he plays tackle at Lackawanna Community College. He's a big dude. Long arms, physical, violent player. Uh, you've got Malik McNeil, six foot seven, 340 pounds. Big dude. Andre Roy, 6'6", 320. These aren't guys that are growing into their frame. These are guys that have the frame and they have the size. It's just that it takes time, and Penn State is not going to play the guys that aren't ready to play football. Landon Tangwall is another guy that's like this. He's already 6'6", 320, or 6'5", maybe. He's a little smaller. He is, I think, right now, the backup right tackle, but really, he's he's not going to play this year because he's a true freshman. James Franklin just doesn't play these guys until they're ready. The thing is, J.B. Nelson is a Lackawanna Community College transfer, and he's played two seasons now at that level. He will be ready to play pretty early in his career. So the answer is, it's coming, but... You had a, you had a time where Matt Lime Grover was the was the O line coach and the recruiter, and they got guys that were good. I think guys that were physical. Will Fries turned into a pretty good offensive lineman his senior year, but they were looking for more athletic players. Now they're looking for big dudes, and and it, I I can't say that they're going to be Iowa or Wisconsin, but they are getting bigger football players to come play offensive line for Penn State. Uh, and the the thing that is going to be telling is that if those big guys who have more physicality and violence, and by the way, T. Frank's film room here on our YouTube channel, if you want to check out J.B. Nelson's film room from uh, earlier this summer, or if you want to check out Malik McNeil, some of the things we've seen from him on film, we've got those videos here on our Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel, which please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our postgame shows or any of the future commitments in the class of 2023, because there are more big dudes coming on the offensive line. The question is going to be, 
can they get those guys to pass block? Because Penn State has been uh, ref- has been deciding we between the two because we're not Alabama and we can't recruit the best guys of the best guys of the best guys. They aren't coming here yet. Let's get the guys that are athletic that can pass block your uh, Ryan Bateses of the world, and then we'll make sure we can run the ball with scheme and with you know some some things that will help outside of the talent. That's what the quarterback run game is supposed to do. That's the the iteration now is the swing game, the the screen game. That's part of the Penn State running attack. So can those guys that are coming in pass block? That's going to be Phil Troutwine's job. It's going to be to get the most out of them as run blockers, sure. But to make sure these guys who maybe aren't as athletic as the ones that have been playing now, make sure they can pass block. Because Penn State wants to throw the football no matter what. If they run the ball better, that is that is that that makes them a complete team. But they have to be able to protect the quarterback. Because we spent another 20 minutes talking about Drew Alar on a post-game show. So that's how much the quarterback matters. Uh, I see James has a question in here. We'll get to his stuff. That's a great question, though, Goonie. Because it is something that you... If you're going to be Iowa, and this is something I've said again about Illinois beats Penn State, and Penn State fans, some of them, are jealous of the way they play. Because look how they just beat the crap out of the Penn State defensive line. If you're going to be Illinois, you're going to lose like Illinois as well, where the next week, you you fall flat on your face. Now, they beat Minnesota today because Minnesota is Illinois. That's how they play football. They play football, I'm not kidding you, with six offensive linemen on the field as a regular package. Not as a specialty, we came out of this, out of the out of the bye week against Penn State, who's injured at defensive tackle, and we know they're light anyway. They play with six offensive linemen regularly. So in a battle of uh in a battle of old school football, I'll be nice about it and call it this, it leaves the door open to chance that the other team is gonna do enough stuff that they're gonna win the game. That's what happened to Penn State. Is they couldn't execute their high-level passing attack that won them most of the game so far this season. Going back to Wisconsin, they couldn't throw the football. Graham Mertz was bad at it. Bo Nix was bad at throwing the football. Penn State was able to throw the football better than these teams, and that's why they won those games. So getting a consistent quarterback and, and protecting him, that is plan 1A. And if you want to be Wisconsin or Iowa, you will lose like Wisconsin or Iowa. Penn State is on the path to be like the teams that are in the college football playoff. That is what they're trying to build as. And I'm going to keep stressing that because I know Penn State fans want them to be able to run the football. And I get that. And it is something that they have to do. It has been a five alarm fire this year, but that is not a reason to throw out the entire archetypal plan like the the grand master plan is the correct one you've got to be able to get the quarterback that can execute it and that's been the biggest thing for Penn State is that Trace Mixer they took them to the heights of what he could do Sean Clifford at this point these might be the heights of what he can do so there you go nine and three maybe his senior season went and 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 to be fair it is all on him Again, he's thrown for 700 and let me let me get this up here again. 724 yards in the last two games. He has thrown 47 passes and 56 passes. He has been good the last two games. There's no even with some of the things we talked about and this is always what happens is so what went wrong? Because we didn't win 56 to 14, which is what you it felt like you should. And they should have won by a more comfortable margin earlier in the game. But they were good 
on offense. They just weren't next level good because maybe Sean Clifford isn't next level good. And that's what they're dealing with so far this year. Got another question here. Uh, how does this team match up against Michigan that struggles to throw the ball but can run at will? Well, that's going to come down to whether Keziah Izzard, Devon Ellis, and uh, Derek Tangelo are up to stopping that run game. If they can keep the linebackers clean, I think we've seen what they can do. Brandon Smith running to the football is one of the most beautiful things I've watched. It is so fun to watch. Ellis Brooks is one of the smartest, most instinctive, natural linebackers that's come through Penn State at that Mike linebacker position. Saw it early in his career. He just needed to get bigger and faster as he got older, where he was able to get into the gap really quickly, make a play, and be there before the other player. Last year, he took a step back because he was trying to make up for everybody's mistakes. He saw everything falling around him and tried to do everything, and that made him wrong. This year, with everything playing better, he's playing at an exceptionally high level as what he's supposed to be, a run-stuffing middle linebacker. So if Penn State's defensive line can keep those guys clean, then yes, they can, they can shut down the Michigan uh, offense for a good portion of the game. They have better, their, their secondary is, is great. I know Joey Porter Jr. got flagged for a lot of holding. I always find it interesting when there's a lot of hand fighting, and Joey Porter Jr. does this on almost every play, but you only throw it on the key ones. Is it that you're only paying attention or that you only care in that moment? Now, if, if you throw it on him every single time, I don't know that he can play football. But I do find it interesting when you call those those plays. Um, he's very good. Tree Castro Fields had a better game today. He wasn't targeted a whole lot. They didn't throw at him, but I thought he played well. And again, Jaquan Brisker was around the ball all game long. So Penn State can shut down the passing attack. The part that I think is going to be the game wrecker for Penn State is that uh, Aiden Hutchinson is unreal. He is a complete defensive end. He could single-handedly chase Young this game. For Penn State. He could destroy whoever he goes up against. Caden Wallace is going to have to have help on every single play. And that's going to eliminate somebody from the passing attack if you chip the guy with a running back or you, you keep somebody into block. Or it's going to give every single other player on the Michigan defensive line one-on-ones. So if Penn State cannot pass protect, they cannot win that game. And that's the only thing telling that, that, I'm, that I stop from saying Penn State's going to win that game. Because again, it's at home. And because I think that their passing attack is good. You saw what they can do when they have time and the ability to throw. It's going to be a, have to be a quick passing game because the longer you give him, the more he is going to be able to get to the quarterback. So that that's, you know, and, and I have to do more work on, on Michigan in general. And that's what I'm going to be doing this coming week on the BWI Daily Edition is watching some of that film. Once I wrap up this game and I have my film analysis on Monday, I shift over to the next team coming up and I'll have more breakdowns of Michigan, what they're good at, what they're not good at, some more deep dive stuff. So make sure you check that out here on the BWI Daily or wherever you get your podcasts. My shameful plugging will continue. And again, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you give it a like so that we can uh, keep going here on the BWI Daily. But yeah, I think Penn State is going to match up well with any of these teams going down the stretch. Peyton Thorne, has been a better quarterback, but I think everyone is pretty aware that he is a similar sort of good college quarterback that if you can get to him, and that's going to be another thing, is can you get to him? Uh, the Penn State pass rush outside of Arnold Ebikiti is, I don't know, it, it, nothing. It's really nothing. Because I Izzard is going to be good 
in the future. He's just still needs to get stronger and bigger. He shouldn't be in a prime role this year because he's still undersized for his frame. He was a, a high school defensive end who's moved inside. He's got to get bigger and stronger. He's going to be a good three technique in the future. I don't know if he's going to be a, a monster pass rusher, but he'll provide something from that role. But Jesse Lucetta and Nick Tarburton, and that's it, really. The only other guys that are pass rushers, they're not, they're not producing at enough level that you can say, yeah, Penn State's going to get to every single quarterback. It's something James Franklin talks about most times in his, uh, in his press conferences is we'd like to get more pass rush because then they would truly be a really dominant defense. And, and they were good today. Again, gave up a lot of empty calories, a lot of empty yards that came up with nothing. Brandon Smith had two and a half tackles for a loss and two pass breakups. He had a great day, uh, six solo, ta- solo tackles. Uh, Jair Brown, eight tackles himself. Most of those were downfield, but uh, he was able to at least stem the bleeding on some plays. And then, of course, the game-ending interception. Jaquan Brisker comes in third, seven tackles. Um, and some of these stats you, that, that, that are in the official game book are a little bit a little bit weird. Like, here's, here's something that I, th- I find weird. When you don't catch the ball, it's considered a drop by the receiver. That's how the, at least they tally it in the official game book. So Jahan Dotson had four drops today. Did you see four drops? I didn't see four drops. They, it's the only way they can account for, in the official game book, for an incomplete pass. It's a drop. It has to go somewhere, right? Because we're now counting targets. So it's a drop. And that's weird. I, I don't like that particular system. So tackles and things like that, they can be a little bit of uh, an art to how we're really charting those plays. Um, Chase says in the chat, Phil Troutwine needs to be replaced. Continued poor line play. Uh, just give it a minute. <laughs> See the forest for the trees. Like the instant gratification. Just give it a minute. I understand this year is a tire fire. It was going to be based on the players they have available and what they want to do. Um, it's not been good enough, sure, but it is. Uh, I, I just I have a hard time with a guy who we give we we say we need to give head coaches three to four years, right? When they come in to get their players and, and to get their system and to get the guys they want to recruit, to give them the ability to develop those guys in the program, and then you can see what the coach can do, right? Why is it different for a positional coach? If the Penn State offensive line was a problem, and last year, uh, one of the problems was when they wanted to operate the offense they wanted at the beginning of the season, they couldn't pass block. So, so they, they make a, a change to a different scheme in COVID, blah, blah, blah. No one wants to talk about that anymore anyway. But Phil Troutwine has not had any time to really bring in players, recruit, and coach, and develop. Again, I just I, I went through the guys earlier. If you weren't here, by the way, um, and, and you want you want to check that out earlier, where we talked about the recruiting, you can watch that back here in the show where we did address that. But I, you just got to give it some time. Like he, he should get three to four years before you judge how terrible of a coach somebody is. If he was if he was replacing somebody because that guy wasn't getting the job done, and it was more so on the recruiting aspect. Here are the fruits of those labors. So let's see. And he has a very good track record of um, of being a good coach over time. So, Diana, I will. Uh, shameless plugs and uh, people who, who are fans. Thank you, Diana. I love, uh, I love the love. Appreciate you coming to the show. Uh, if you have any more questions, we will... Um, 
we'll uh, a- answer them here. We got a couple minutes left. I don't want to drag this on. I think we covered most of the main points here in the game. Penn State was able to throw the ball. And when they can throw the ball, they can win. And that was really what happened today in the game. Uh, let me look at my notes here. Normally, I have somebody else to talk while I'm doing this so that I, I look a little more professional. But uh, um, we'll see if Penn State is able to play this level of game going forward. And one of the things I've written about over at uh, Penn State on three, by the way, if you see that up here in the corner, I always point the wrong way. Over there. There we go. Uh, Penn State Blue White Illustrated is now part of the On3 network. So if you haven't checked out what On3 is, it is the newest uh, It's the newest fan experience for high school recruiting and for college sports coverage. From the founder of Rivals and 247, it is the newest iteration that is going to change the way you experience Penn State football. You can sign up right now for just $1. 12 months of coverage. So you can be watching the BWI live postgame show. You can see if I'm full of it uh, in my film review, which is going to be coming up on Monday. And you can get all of that access to the premium content on 3 Plus for just $1. Sign up now to get 12 months. I'll take you into the end of next season so we can still be talking about how bad the Penn State offensive line is. Uh, and which of the young quarterbacks has stepped up or if they get a transfer. All of that exciting stuff in the future. Um, this will be interesting to see if they can play this way going forward. Because they will go as Sean Clifford goes. And Sean Clifford is very much the canary in the coal mine of how good is the, is the offense playing. Because he's going to throw some and he's going to miss some. The receivers have to make their plays. He's not going to make every play for them by putting it right where it needs to be on every play. The offensive line has to block. There is no way around it. He is not going to succeed from, uh, from a pressure situation. And that's going to determine a lot of this for Penn State football, that they, the receivers have to win and the offensive line has to block, and that will determine how far Penn State is able to go the rest of the season. And I think you, if you're just looking at it reasonably, they should be in every single game they play the rest of the season. I, I, I have no doubt about they should be in every single game, but also every team is going to be in the game for the rest of the season. How fun is that? Uh, well, maybe not Rutgers. You know, maybe not Rutgers. That might be nice. Uh, again, that'll do it today for the BWI Live postgame show. Thanks, to everybody who participated. This was a ton of fun. Uh, it's always easier, by the way, after a win to be able to talk to everyone who's not uh, vehemently angry. Still some of that, I understand. Some people just don't like James Franklin. That's going to be a part of uh, the story for them. Uh, but Penn State does get a win, 31-14. And uh, they will move on to face their next opponent here in the... Uh, in the next couple of weeks, I want to thank everybody who participated. I don't have the, everybody's names, but uh, Ryan, James, Goonie, everybody for uh, donating to the channel. We'll be back again post-game after every single game So for the rest of the season here, 15 minutes after the final whistle. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you on Monday on the BWI Live Show.